0: I've taken, I get to talk about three topics all in one. So what I've done is I've taken each and made it into an hour segment, and it will be three hours long. Does that sound good for y'all? No, I'm not going to do that. Actually, I've rolled it all into one, and I'm going to try to do it in 30 minutes. I'm going to be talking about heaven, hell, and Satan. Heaven, hell, and Satan. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I can understand the connection between two of those, but what's the connection between the third? Actually, they're all connected. And there's a way that they're all connected. They're all connected in the life story of Satan. They're all connected in his life story. You see, Satan has a life story. He has one. And sometimes we just don't know where it's at. We have to look for it. You know, when I meet somebody or even if I've known them for a while and I want to get them, you know, get to know them a little bit better, I ask them to tell me their story. Everybody has a story. You have a story. You know, there's things that have happened good and bad in your life. So I sit down and I just say, tell me your story. And then I shut up and I listen. Now I might ask a question or two for Claire selves. Let them share their story. That's what we're going to do this morning. The story of Satan tells us that he has been in heaven and will eventually serve the judgment of his sins in hell. Now, how am I going to do this? I'm I'm going to use a, I'm a visual person, okay? And my wife said that that not to be playing with the rope while I'm standing up here, so I'm going to try not to. But I'm going to use this as a timeline. A timeline of Satan's life. And as you can see, there are markings on here that kind of give an indication of things that have happened in Satan's life. You know, lots of times we don't think about that, do we? We don't think that Satan has lived a life. So, we're going to have three main texts that we're going to look at. And there's a few other scriptures that we'll look at. But it's Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and Revelation 27 through 10. And we're going to have those up on the board for you to read. If you can see them, I didn't do too good with the graphics. So, let's get started. When I say the word Satan, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Yell it out because I can't hear too good. Devil. devil. Satan, devil. Evil. Somebody said? Uh, maybe not, but <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Huh? Horns. Horns. There. Darkness. There's a lot of things we think about, don't we? You know, some of us think of the devil and we think of, you know, football mascot or something like that. You know, uh, Hopewell to blue devils, things like that. But when we really think about it, there's a life here. He has a life. Satan has a life. Now, what I think about is 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a a roaring lion looking for someone to devour you know, if you're out in the woods and somebody yells lion, what are you going to do? You're going to run, you're going to look, you're going to see where he's at, aren't you? You're going to become alert, aren't you? If somebody yells lion, you're going to respond, aren't you? Well, Peter's yelling lion, okay? Respond to it. Now, John 10, 10 says, Then this is Jesus talking, Jesus says the thief, that's Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus says, I have come. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, a roaring lion devouring, and then a thief who steals, kills, and destroys. As we go through the life story of Satan, I'm going to use this rope, like I said, as a timeline. Okay? So, let's start with the story. What is the story of Satan? If we agree with with biblical uh, scholars, we will see the story in Satan in some key Old Testament passages, and then also in the New Testament and Revelation. Now, there are other scriptures that reveal things about Satan, but we don't have time to go through those today. I'm trying to keep this down to at least an hour. So, what is the story? Isaiah 14, 12 says, in the King James Version, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Lucifer, that means light bearer shining one, morning star. Lucifer is the name we will use at the beginning of the story. This is the life of Lucifer. So, turn to Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, or if you can see the board, and actually it's going to be 13, starting with verse 13. Listen to this about about Lucifer. Excuse me, about Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone adorns you. Now, I don't know all these stones, and I'm not going to try to to pronounce them, but you've got emeralds, topaz, onyx. You've got some beautiful stones in here. Look at this. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Key, Key verse there. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. This is God speaking. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I, God, drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Wow, what a story. But there's some key things that we need to know. You see, in the timeline, there's a starting point. That starting point is one day Lucifer was created. He was created. Who created him? God God created him. God created Lucifer for a reason. For a reason he was created. He was created to be on the mount of God. He was created to be there for a reason. He's beautiful. He's a guardian cherub. You know what that is? That's an angel. And he's not just any angel. He's a special angel. He has a special place. He's on the Mount of God. Think about that. Lucifer, on the Mount of God. So, what was he doing in the garden? I mean, in the garden. He was in the garden, too. But what was he doing on the Mount of God? You know, in Revelation 4, I think we see a special scene because John goes to heaven, or he has a vision of heaven, whichever you want to accept and he actually sees something going on around the throne of God. What does he see? I'm going to pick out a few verses, not going to read through the whole thing. This is what he sees. John says in verse 2 of Revelation 4, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Who's sitting on the throne in heaven? God. And the one that, who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Then verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, Also in front of the throne, were, were, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. Verse 8, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is mentally insert Lucifer into that scene. This beautiful angel who is covered with stones of great value, of great beauty, who has gold all around him, insert him into this scene and also add his voice into this scene of holy, holy, holy because that's what he would be doing on the holy mount of God. He would be worshiping God. How amazing would that sight be? But John doesn't see that, does he? Because Lucifer's not there. You know, you can only imagine the beauty of that guardian cherub in this scene. Lucifer would have been a part of this worship. Now, how long he was there, we don't know. Have no idea. But one day something happened. What happened? First, mark on the the timeline. What happened to Lucifer on the Mount of God? If we go back to Ezekiel fifteen, the Ezekiel twenty-eight verse fifteen. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. And then verse 17, we find out what wickedness it is. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Your splendor. Not splinter, but splendor. Pride. Pride. We'll find out more about that in a minute. But you see, there's a change in this guardian cherub. How can that be? God created him to worship him and serve him, didn't he? So how could this change happen? One thing that we have to realize is this. To worship God, we have to have free will. The angels have to have free will. We have to have free will, because worship without free will is not really worship, is it? We choose to worship God. We choose to accept Him as our God, don't we? He doesn't force Himself on us. So just like today, we all sat here, we came together, and we worshiped God. We chose to do that, didn't we? We chose to give him praise, honor, and glory. Well, one day, Satan, or Lucifer, changed his mind. Without free will, worship is not truly worship. And like us, the angels have free will. They have a choice to worship God or not. Now, our second Old Testament passage gives us more information about what really happened. That is Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. Here we go, Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will raise myself above the other angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. Wait a minute, there's only one person that sits when God is being worshipped. Who is that? God. God sits and receives worship. And here Lucifer says he wants to sit on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. A bold statement from Lucifer, isn't it? He wants to take the place of God. He wants to receive the worship. But then it says, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Pride. Lucifer wanted to be worshipped like God. It was not enough for him to be in the presence of God. He wanted to be God. Well, that doesn't go too good. Lucifer gets thrown out of heaven. He's cast out. But then what happened? There's a change in the appearance of Lucifer very, very quickly. You see, in Revelations 20, verses 1 and 2, we see a description of Lucifer. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He's no longer beautiful in appearance. He's changed. Can you imagine what this this dragon, this serpent, looks like? He's hideous. But there's also another thing that happens at the same time. His name is changed. He's no longer the morning star. He's no longer the light. He's no longer Lucifer. What's his name? Satan. Satan. Now, there's one more passage that we need to look at to truly understand what is going on in this period of time if we're looking at the life of Satan. In Revelation 12, 7 through 9, it says this. Then war broke out in heaven. War in heaven. Can you imagine that? War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Not only is Satan cast out because of his sin of pride, he acts on that pride. He decides he's going to lead a revolution. He's going to revolt against God. He's going to have forces that are going to battle with the other angels to try to take control. But what happens? He's cast out. He loses. After that, in the story of Satan, we see that he goes to the Garden of Eden. He's no longer the guardian cherub. He is the ugly dragon, the serpent. His appearance is changed by by the time he comes to the woman in the garden and the man, and he tempts them. Do you remember what he tempts them with? Do you remember what he says in that temptation? In Genesis 3-5, Satan says, for God knows that when you eat from it, talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. He tempts them with his own temptation to be like God. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So let's stop the story of Satan for a minute. I'm going to set this timeline down. And I want to talk about heaven. Now, I do not want to talk about the future heaven that we will inhabit after the day of judgment. That's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is, and I want to make this clear, this is about the present heaven. The heaven where God's throne room is at. The heaven that we see that John goes to in in the book of Revelations. So, what does heaven look like and what does the Bible say about heaven? Because God has given us a message about where he lives. That message is mostly found in Revelations. So John's written account of heaven reveals several things. The first thing that it reveals is that there's a temple in heaven... And it is filled with smoke from the glory of God. That's Revelations 15, 8, if you want to write that down. Revelations 15, 8. There are scrolls in heaven, elders who have faces, martyrs who wear clothes, and even people with palm branches in their hands. Revelations 7, 9. There are musical instruments in heaven. Revelations 8, 6. There are horses coming in and out of heaven. 2 Kings 2, 11, and Revelations 19, 14. But I, bl- I like, the, there's one passage of Scripture that I like the best when I talk about heaven. It's Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And let me kind of set that up for you. This is John, and he's actually sharing with us his vision or his sight of the martyrs that are in heaven. The people that have been killed for their belief In Christianity, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we find it says, "...when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar..." Now, this is the altar of God, right there at the throne. He says, "...I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, "...how long, sovereign Lord?" Holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed, just as they had been, was completed. Now, there's a lot of things that we can get out of this passage, but there are some key things. When we die on earth, we go to heaven. You remember Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5, eight, Out of the body into the presence of God we go. We're before, we're before Jesus. You know, the other is that our identity continues in heaven. We are known. We're not unknown. Our lives on earth are known in heaven. Everyone in heaven knew exactly what the martyrs had done. We are able to communicate just as they will be, as they were. We can interact with our Lord. Wouldn't that be, now that's something to look forward to because I have some questions I want to ask. We are conscious and aware. We remember our lives on earth. In heaven, we are distinct individuals. We're not just part of the crowd. And we have physical forms. Those are just some of the things that we can get out of that passage. There are some more. But now let's go back to the story of Satan. Because in his timeline, things are moving along. And this is today. This is around our time period. So what is Satan doing today? Any ideas? He's at work, isn't he? He's building an army, isn't he? He's adding people to his number. And we see it each day, don't we, as he twists this world around. You know, I go back to 1 Peter 5.8. Peter gives us that warning, doesn't he? Look out, there's a lion. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Back to John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says he's a thief, steal, kill, and destroy. And then also Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is Satan? He is the prince of this world, isn't he? He is the prince of this world. And he is using everything that he has against us. Against us. Satan's desire is to fill hell up with people, isn't it? Today Satan is in combat. He is searching, seeking out those to destroy. You know that more Christians are dying today than at any other time in history? You just don't hear about it. It's not newsworthy. It is not newsworthy. Even the Romans did not kill as many Christians as we see dying today for their faith. I can only imagine the number of times each day that the question is asked, are you a Christian? And then that brother or sister in Christ is killed for their faith. You see right here, today, Satan is at war on this earth. I want to answer a question that we got the other day. I didn't ask Aaron if I could do this, so I'm going to answer it anyway. (laughs) We're going to answer it again on November the 15th. But the question is, how do you know if Satan is attacking you or if God is correcting you? How do you know if Satan is attacking you or God is correcting you? A lot of people ask that question. And this is what I have found. God is correcting you if God is correcting you. He wants you to get sin or an obstacle out of your life that is keeping you away from him. So what you have to do is, first thing, look at your own life. God, are you trying to tell me to stop some sin? Are you trying to tell me to put something aside so it's not keeping me from you? And then go to the next, the next point. If Satan is attacking, he is devouring, stealing, killing, and destroying There's a big difference in that, isn't there? That's how you figure it out. First thing, examine your own life and see if something is keeping you from being close to God. What about the future? You know, Satan has an eternal future. One day, one day, he will inhabit a place that has been created for him. Where is that place? It's hell. It's hell. Now I want to say something about hell in the church today. You know, over the last 30 years, and I can say this because I'm 53 years old, over the last 30 years, I know you might think I'm only like 25 or something, over the last 30 years, we've almost completely erased hell in the church. Really, we have. We've almost completely erased any teaching or doctrine of hell in the church. Why? Because we want everybody to think God loves everybody and we're all going to go to heaven. But that is not true. That is not biblical. Jesus taught that there is a heaven and a hell. There is reward and there is punishment. You know... Part of apologetics, there's a goal in apologetics. There is a goal. When we present our defense of our faith, there is a goal. And that goal is to lead the other person to Christ. That's the goal of apologetics. It's not to win the argument. It's to present a defense that compels the other person to see that Jesus is the only way. That's why we do it. That's why we argue our defense, so that others will see. But if we don't tell them what they're being saved from, they won't fully understand the grace that is being extended to them. You see, they're not being saved from themselves. They're not being saved from their sins or from their rotten life. They're being saved from being totally, completely Damned to hell and eternal punishment. That's what they're being saved from. Eternal death. So now, let's talk about hell. So hell, hell is a place of punishment. The fact that hell is a place of punishment is communicated by every New Testament author. Jesus clearly teaches us in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. In his description of the judgment to come and the division of the sheep and the goats, the goats receive eternal punishment. Hell is a place of banishment. The fact that hell is a place of banishment, separation, exclusion, or being left outside is communicated by every New Testament author except for the writer of Hebrews and James. In Mark 9, verse 42 through 48, Jesus states that those who do not enter into heaven will be thrown into hell. Hell is a place of eternity. In Matthew 25, 46, once again, back to the teaching about the sheep and the goats. Hell, eternal punishment, and heaven is eternal life. If we do not present the same, if we do not present hell as eternal punishment, then we cannot present heaven as eternal life. The same words are used, to describe, are used to describe both. Eternal is eternal for one and also for the other. It is never ending. I'm going to tell you the truth. That story of the sheep and the goats, I said it wrong in the first service, so maybe I'll say it right this time. It scares me out of hell. I actually said it scared the hell out of me. But it scares, it scares me out of hell. And I'll tell you why. Sometimes I sit and I read that passage. If you, if you read Matthew 25, if you read that passage, the people that are banished to hell cry out to Jesus, we've done the same thing that the good guys did that are going to get eternal life. And what does Jesus tell them? Department from me, I do not know you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. He sends them off to be eternally damned because he does not know them. And that scares me because I want to know my Lord and Savior. I want to be accepted by him. And then I say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to Satan anymore. I know that Jesus knows me. I know that because he's my Lord and Savior. I know that he has accepted me as I am. But now, let's get back to Satan. So what does, uh, what does that day look like for Satan? The day that he is thrown into hell. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right here, the day that Satan is thrown into hell. It hasn't happened yet. You know all those stories about, you know, the devil's down there turning up the heat and stuff like that? It's not true. Hell is empty. Nobody's been thrown into it yet. But I want to show you something. You see right here is hell? There's a lot more rope here, but then there's also the end of the rope that is just a circle. Eternity goes on forever. There's no end to it. There's no end. Satan will be in an eternity of fire and brimstone of punishment. What happens right after this point Right after that point when Satan gets thrown into hell. Anybody know what happens right after that? It's called the great white throne judgment. God will judge mankind. That's what happens right after that because Satan's already been judged. He already knows what the outcome is for him. And after that, mankind will be judged. You know what Satan wants? And I I really do believe this. I believe that Satan wants revenge on God. I think that his personality is such that he wants to cause God as much pain as he possibly can. You know, the Bible says that God is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What does Satan want to do? Satan wants to take as many people as possible to hell. You know, Jesus came to this earth. And I, I can't imagine this because I'm, I sit and I think about And fellows that are going to be serving communion, if you want to go ahead and get ready, we're getting ready to go into a time of communion. I cannot imagine this. I cannot imagine leaving that scene in heaven. Can you imagine being there and seeing seeing the sight, seeing the beauty, seeing the worship that is going on, seeing everything that is happening, and then to agree to freely, willingly leave that and come to this earth? To come to this earth with pain, hunger, thirst, needs... To come here knowing, knowing that you're going to die, and not just any death, a death of crucifixion. A death so horrible that even the Roman government would not crucify Romans. They would only crucify those that were non-Romans. The word excruciating death from the cross, or pain from the cross, excruciating, pain from the cross is what excruciating means, a word created to describe a pain that was unknown until crucifixion was brought in, but to do that willingly for us, for us, to set things right, to give us an avenue, a way to go to heaven instead of hell. Now, as the Lord's Supper is passed out, you receive a wafer, cracker, whatever you want to call it, and a cup of juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. The juice represents his blood, the blood that is shed for you, the blood that washes you clean, the blood that offers you redemption. It's through His sacrifice that we are made whole again. It is through His sacrifice that we receive the ability to one day be in heaven if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God doesn't make it hard for us. He wants us all to be there. Let us pray. Father.